you. Well, this is uh, when Pastor Scott told me what the passage is going to be. I was like, wow, that's amazing timing. So we're going to go over um, the death of Jesus here on the cross, dying on the cross here on Palm Sunday, which is just perfect timing. And then on Easter, you guys get to hear um, the resurrection. So that's a, a blessing to have the timing down just right. So it was fun and uh, just really encouraging me just to study for this. So hopefully you guys are encouraged as we um, go through and hear God's word. So let's go ahead and we'll jump right in. And let me pray here first before we read. Um, here to start us off this morning. Father, thank you for today, and we're thankful for uh, your word that we can study that, and we know um, what is true, and uh, we know when we hear lies that we can take your word and apply it to that and uh, call those lies. So Lord, let the truth um, come to us here this morning. Let not lies just fill our mind. Push those away so that uh, your word um, will be revealed and our hearts will be changed for your glory, Lord. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins and the amazing act of that, the love that is needed for that, Lord. Let us remember that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Mark 15. So I'll read Mark 15, 33 through 41. And is it a tradition in Sunday school class to stand too? So we'll go ahead and stand as we read. That so Mark fifteen thirty three through forty one and when the sixth hour had come there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour and at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice and I don't know Elo Elo does anybody know how to pronounce that which means my God my God why have you forsaken me and some of the bystanders hearing it said behold he is calling Elijah and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, whom were, uh, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger one, uh, Joaz and uh, Salam, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. He may be seated. So there's a number of topics that we're going to hit on. So as I ask you the questions, but what were some things that jumped out at you in here? I'm going to give you the easy one. Jesus died on the cross. So got that one. What were some other things that jumped out at you here that was significant? Um, the curtain so the curtain torn in two. So do you know what the curtain divided? Yes. The holy place from the holy of holies. So the Ark of the Covenant was held in the holy of holies and the, and the holy place. So there was a curtain there. There was also a curtain um, between the the temple and the holy place, but most likely it was the holy of holy curtain, the big veil. It was a very thick curtain. What else did jump out at you as you saw that? So. Um, he knew why he was 
dying on the cross, but he still said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay. So he, he willingly went to the cross, but then he was under a lot of grief. Good. Was the sixth hour six in the morning? When is the sixth hour? So it's six o'clock. If uh, the first hour is um, like six o'clock in the morning when the sun just rises over there, so six hours probably around noon. What else did you see? Did you? Yeah. Um, one of the men that was watching like the crucifixion happen uh, became a follower of Jesus. Okay. So, read this last. Mm -hmm. There's also darkness, like a deep darkness over the land. So, so, what is the significance of darkness? This is a darkness that came from the sixth hour over the whole land to the ninth hour. So, when he died. So, it's about three in the afternoon. So, obviously, bright sun, that's the hottest part of the day. Complete darkness. So... When was there other times of darkness in the Bible? Just shout it out. Plagues. Huh? Plagues. Plagues, yep. So Exodus. So, so darkness generally means like a, why there was a darkness there. Obviously, um, it tends to be a, um, um, like a, a time of God's judgment might be. Uh, something like that, a gloomy darkness. Hell's considered the outer darkness. We know in Matthew 8, 12, hell's considered an outer darkness. So it's the absence of God. So um, it might be uh, this, this judgment that comes upon Jesus for that time. Some people think that it might be um, getting to the point of why would Jesus say the significant words that we brought up? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's actually quoted. If you turn to Psalm 22. This is, the, this, is, uh, this is Jesus thinking of while he's on the cross, one of his last words. And there's, there's quite a few of Jesus' last words that are through the gospel. I know you've heard, it is finished. Uh, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's like he also said, I am thirsty. So there's a lot of words I have, but Mark specifically pointed to, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus, while sitting on the cross, or hanging on the cross, I used to say, hanging on the cross, he is thinking of Psalm 22. Does anybody have any idea why he's thinking of Psalm 22? This is a Psalm of David. So if you've ever heard of a Psalm of David, it's a messianic Psalm. So this is uh, what it is, is it's pointing to Christ in here. But this is a lament. Who knows what a lament is? Or why a lament is important? Why would Jesus lament? So I have... Um, I have a really, like, the importance of a lament. Let's say you're walking along, 
and something bad happens, what is your tendency to do after the something bad happens? What do you look at? So if I'm walking along and I stub my toe and I'm on the ground writhing in pain, what do you do? Look at your toe. Huh? Look at your toe. He's like, my toe! Woe is me, my toe. So I'm walking along and I stub my toe. I'm laying on the ground writhing in pain. My toe, my toe, it hurts so bad. And if you stub your toe, boy, it hurts. So what are you going to keep doing? Why did this happen to me? My toe. You guys have had anything, you never stubbed your toe before? I, I was hitting, I was doing a, framing um, a room and I took a hammer and I hit my thumb. And that hurts really bad. I had to put the hammer down, walk downstairs to the couch and lay down on the couch and prop up and turn the TV on. And that hurt, it just throbbing and it had its heartbeat going. And oh, woe is me, that hurt really bad. Okay? And what am I saying, right? I'm lamenting. That hurts. When does that turn into complaining? So this was the importance of a lament, right? A lament helps you reorient back to God. Okay, so I hit my thumb, I stubbed my toe, and then what can I do? So I'm being silly with the thumb, right? But what can I do to help reorient after I've been disoriented by hitting my thumb? What can I do to reorient it? Because I could easily fall into stupid hammer, stupid knee, stupid framing. I'm never going, I'm done with construction. I'm hiring somebody else. I'm never doing that again, right? But what can help us reorient? Reorient. I know I know something bad things happen to you guys, right? So tell me, or do you guys never come out of stubbing your toe? So what do you guys do? Help reorient me. Okay, so let's read Psalm 22. So this is Jesus lamenting, okay? He is on the cross, right? He is suffering and dying on the cross for our sins. All of the sins that he is to forgive is being poured on him. He has become wrath. So he is being separated from God the Father because of the curse as he is sitting on the cross. So it's a little bit more intense than stubbing your toe, right? So he is having complete suffering here. So we're going to read this. I'm going to read the whole thing just because it's really important Psalm. I want you to be thinking about how to help reorient ourselves when something bad happens to us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer and by night, but I find no rest. So just really think of Jesus here hanging on the cross. Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. 
but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They are mouthed at me. They wag their heads. They trust in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you in my mother's breath. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide the mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. So think of that as the suffering that can happen. Just being so tired and worn and beaten. 16, four dogs encompassed me, and company of evildoers, evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. So that's another prophecy. And I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him. But he has heard when he has cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before him. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep him alive. Prosperity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn, that he has done it. So, as Jesus was thinking of this psalm on the cross, what was he doing? So how can we reorient ourselves? What are some ideas? What was said there in this psalm? You can just use those verses. Yeah, so you're turning. So what are you remembering? So remember. What are you going to remember? So remember, what are some things that Jesus remembered in this verse, in this chapter? Shout them out. He delivered them. Huh? He delivered them. He delivered them. The leaders are making you guys look bad. Come on, students. Huh? He's been his God. Yep, he's been his God. So these, so these laments are what we want. So when things happen, we lament the bad thing that's happened, but we remember the goodness of God. We remember his promises. We, we put our hope in him. 
And if we continue to focus on the disorienting thing that happened, we'll never be able to move forward. And we'll continue in suffering and bitterness. Okay? So that's why a lament is important. It is calling out to God your complaint. And then it is remembering God's goodness and his promises and what he's doing. And that's what Jesus did here. And so it's important to, even in the complete suffering that Jesus had, um, of being completely separated from God for a time, he remembered the goodness of God through that. So we also need to know from just switching to Mark um, and Mark chapter 15, going back to Jesus going on the cross. So we know that um, for those who believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he died on the cross for our sins. We remember that, right? So what I like to do is talk a little bit about how completely Jesus um, died on the cross for our sins. And I'm going to use a couple of $5 words here. These words are long, um, and they're not, they're not important for the words. But what I'd like you to really look on is more of the um, definitions of them. But expiation... Um, and that's just a fancy word to say that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, um, it's the removal of sin. That's one act that Jesus did um, when he died on the cross. So Hebrews 9, 26. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he put away sin. So that's Hebrews um, 9, 26. Another, another fancy word is propitiation. You guys might have heard that. I don't even know how to spell that one. That's how big of a word it is. Propitiation. So just like expiation is the removal of sin, propitiation is the removal of God's wrath. So not only is the sin removed, God's wrath is removed. And so... Uh, that's Romans 3.25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. That's Romans 3. Um, 25, if you're interested. I just like, what I was, when I was going through and studying this, I, I was just really shocked at how um, good God is and how complete God is. Redemption. He redeemed us. So it's deliverance of captivity from sin's curse. So we're delivered from captivity. So we used to be a slave to sin. So Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And... Um, substitution. This is the last one. Substitution. He died in our place, right? And Romans 5.8 um, God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us 
So what's, what's really neat and encouraging to me is just how complete Jesus died on the cross for them, so on the cross for us. Because if you turn to Colossians 2, we have an enemy. We have principalities and powers that want to kill and destroy us because we're made in the image of God. We have Satan, right? That's, that's the lead of that. Do you guys know what the word Satan means? There's a lot of words for, uh, for Satan, Lucifer, the devil. Do you know what Satan means? It actually means accuser. So think of that, that we are, if we are standing before a righteous judge in a courtroom and we have an accuser, we have Satan, we have principalities and powers that accuse us. Look, listen to these verses that I'm going to read in Colossians chapter 2, um, 13 and 14. So, and you who were dead in your trespasses, so this is Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So, God, Jesus' work on the cross has forgiven all of this, and, and it has been done completely. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So if you're thinking like in a legal situation. So by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. So not only is Satan um, trying to accuse us, but he, he's been completely disarmed. All his ammo that he can use against us has been taken away from us. And he's been put to open shame. He has nothing to bring forth and to accuse us with if we have faith in Jesus. If our sins are forgiven, if we believe, um, then... Um, our sins are forgiven completely, and then we have, when we stand before God uh, in judgment, we have been found clean, we have been found righteous, not out of our own works, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And then in that we can rejoice, because God is good and loving. So I really uh, hope that you're encouraged and in seeing that in Second Colossians, that we, when we are accused by Satan, when li lies are hold from us if we have faith in Jesus that we can look and say those are lies. Satan is trying to destroy me. So they could be lies of discouragement. They could be lies of anxiety. They could be lies of sinfulness. But we know that you can put your hope in whatever disorienting thing that happens to you. You can be reoriented by holding on to the promises of God that nope my sin is completely removed. God's wrath does not apply to me. I have been delivered. He died in my place. So I stand redeemed. I stand um, righteous. If you are not, if you are not redeemed, if you don't, then you do stand condemned if you don't believe. Um, that's, um, and so that's, the, that's why we want to take the gospel um, far and wide and hear this good news that we can be redeemed. So, um, the last thing I want to talk about is the veil being torn in two. And it's, 
really good with next steps. So if we remember um, what Jesus has done for us, we know that the veil um, no longer separates. So between, between um, us and God, that dividing wall has been separated. And in Hebrews chapter 10, so this is the last verse we're going to um, go through. In Hebrews chapter 10, um, it actually says that um, the metaphor here is this veil represents Christ. Okay? So that veil that was torn in two is, represents Jesus. So just like the veil was torn, and just like Jesus was torn, um, because Jesus was torn and he died on, for our sins, we are um, no longer separated from God, but we can commune with him. We are ch his children. We have been adopted. So we'll read uh, 1019. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance with our hearts, sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and with our bodies washed with pure water. So this curtain or veil, um, which is representing him through his flesh, has been torn. So therefore we can go with confidence. This is our confidence, right? So Satan wants to lie to us and say, you have no confidence. You have no standing before God. So whatever disorienting thing happens to you and suffering that you go through, lies that can come to you, um, you can reject because you can remember God's promises that you are his child. You are adopted. You are forgiven. You can with confidence go before him. I mean, what if, if you think about it, what hubris or I guess I should say, how ridiculous is it that we can go to the most powerful being in the whole universe, he created us, and that he will listen to what we want and cares for us. Think on that. That's like, let's say I have a pet hamster. That would be like, oh, I'm my pet hamster, like, wanting to know. It's like, hey, I want to not be in this cage. And I'm like, oh, I don't care. It's like, I don't, I, it's you're a hamster, or you're an ant. It, it's the fact that it's not just one hamster, but it's billions. So over the course of, the, over creation, that God loves us that much. And, um, and hears us and has adopted us into that. And I haven't heard of anybody adopting a hamster into their family. So... That's the significance of how much God loves his creation and has done for this. So with confidence, we can go before him to his holy place, okay, by the blood of Jesus, okay? So then, because we can hold that, we go to verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, right? So we stub our toe. We're not going to look at the toe. We're going to look at God, Okay? So we're going to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. That will give us steadfastness, okay? For he who promised is faithful, right? God's faithful. We're faithless. We're, we have the faithlessness. God is always faithful. And then 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We want to help each other do that. 
So if I stub my toe, what do you guys want to do? I'm rolling on the ground. You want to come and encourage me. It's like, Kyle, you stubbed your toe. I'm so sorry. And but what are you going to say? You're going to love and encourage me, help me get ice for my toe. And then if I do a prolonged you know, thing where I just continue looking on my toe and I keep walking, you just say, hey, um, just point them to God's promises and help them in a loving way, right? We don't want to do it in a, in a callous way. And then verse 25, not, collect, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So if we, don't, if we don't meet together, we can't encourage one another, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the hope, the day drawing near, that's Jesus' second coming. So that's where we put our hope. We don't put our hope in this life. This life lies, okay? This life only, only encourages, this, the world here only encourages brief uh, happiness that does not last, okay? And people will lie to themselves and say they're happy and look at, uh, I'm doing great in school, I'm thrilled, I have great relationships, um, new video games out, I don't know, so, um, or I went to this great movie and that was so much fun. But that movie is past, right? But what does bring joy is finding our hope in Jesus, remembering what he's done and has completely done, and to encourage one another is what brings uh, much more lasting joy as we encourage one another to hope in the next life. So that's all I had this morning. So um, just really uh, looking forward to... Um, what God has for you as we study this word and, and work through this holy week here as we get ready for Easter. Because, I'm not, I don't want to give too much away, but Jesus does rise again. So, sorry, Scott, I ruined, I, I, I gave the spoiler out. So, and that's why we say, we can say, have you ever heard, he is risen? And what do you say when you say he is risen? Risen indeed. Okay, so we have to be really excited because this is a big thing, right? Because why do, why do we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? So we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but why, why did Jesus have to rise from the dead? That's the harder question. And a lot of people don't know that. They think Easter is about Jesus dying on the cross for sin, but no, it's about him rising from the grave. So when we actually say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Okay, so let's do it one more time. Yeah. I want to like, be really excited because this is, I need to get Scott ready for next week. So he is risen. He is yeah. risen indeed. Yes, and so that's just a classic line that we have that um, we want to remember and be joyful in the, and be thankful for all that he's done because not only did he suffer completely by dying on the cross for our sins and having God's wrath on our behalf as our substitution, um, but um, so he also completely forgave our sins. So we're thankful for that. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this morning, and we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful for your truths. If um, help us to always look to you through our trials and our sufferings, and whatever uh, person here is going through that is difficult, um, please be with them. Surround them with. Um, 
brothers and sisters in Christ that love them and love you and help them to lovingly point uh, their suffering and why they're suffering for your glory. To remember that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.